the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. We saw a church that was beginning to coast that had stopped doing the works that had done in the beginning. And while he noted all the great things they had done, he said, this one thing I have against you. You've lost your first love. You stopped doing the works you did at the beginning. And if you don't return to that, I will snuff you out. And we talked about how gracious and merciful that was to even give them warning. Well, today we're going to look at three churches further down the road to death and decline. I can see the promised land, though there's pain within the plan, there is victory in the end, your love is my battle cry, the answer for all my life, every dragon will fall, the mountains will move, every chain of the past you've broken into, all the fear of the lies, we're singing the truth, that nothing is impossible with you. Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today in the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, Pastor Keith continues with the Future Grace series, an in-depth study of the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to Revelation chapter 2. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Father, we just thank you. Uh, We have your word, which is truth itself. Lord, sanctify us, grow us, change us, mature us by that word, that we would be useful servants in your kingdom, doing our duty before a holy God who is unlike anyone we've ever met or anyone we've ever known or anyone we've ever seen as we see by the Apostle John's reaction in chapter one. Help us to take your word seriously, to read it, to consider its implications, and to apply it. Without compromise, Lord, seeking to maintain the integrity of the church our witness, and the ministry. Father, help us not to tolerate the intolerable Father, but to be faithful servants, fulfilling the role and the calling with which we've been called. We pray now for clarity and understanding as we look into your word, Father, to be changed by it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Consider these facts. A 50-plus year longitudinal nationwide study of the history of college grading finds that in the early 1960s, an A grade was awarded in colleges nationwide 
15% of the time. Fair enough. But by 2010, an A is the most common grade given in college today. The percentage of A grades has tripled, and while student performance has plummeted, A grades have increased. 75% of all grades awarded today in colleges and universities that give grades are either A's or B's. In 2013, Harvard University admitted that its median grade for undergraduates is an A minus. Now think about that. Now, since then, Harvard has stopped giving grades. They've gone past fail. And what we're seeing today is that most of the Ivy League schools are now on a pass-fail basis. We see that SAT scores and SATs are becoming uh, optional for admission to college or university. Why is that? Well, one escapable conclusion is that the problem, what's the problem here is a loss of mission, uh, compromise, uh, tolerating the intolerable. It's not unfair to say that these institutions that were once involved in education have compromised their mission and integrity. And now we are seeing the consequences. According to one study, incoming college freshmen have to take remedial courses for a couple of semesters before they can move on to take college-level courses. It's a process that is a financial drain not only on students but on taxpayers and, of course, parents, and it costs an extra $7 billion a year. The lesson, choices have consequences. Such choices to compromise one's mission and one's purpose, and therefore one's integrity, is always, always, always costly, if not debilitating and, in the long run, fatal to the enterprise. Which brings us to today's message and three particular churches that we're going to look at from history. So today, as we continue our study of future grace, the study of John's apocalypse, Christ's letter to the seven churches, we're going to look at three churches today. We are inside of a mini-series called Listening to the One We Love. This is part two, and we look at seven particular churches in seven particular conditions. These are literal churches, and today's message is subtitled, A Profile in Dying Churches. Now, if anything, last week, as we looked at the church of Ephesus, the church of churches in that era, we noted that Jesus does not grade on a curve. We noticed that he, he has very, very high standards. And as we looked at the report card for Ephesus, we saw a church that was beginning to coast, that had stopped doing the works that had done in the beginning. And while he noted all the great things they had done, he said, this one thing I have against you. You've lost your first love. You stopped doing the works you did at the beginning. And if you don't return to that, I will snuff you out. And we talked about how gracious and merciful that was to even give them warning. Well, today we're going to look at three churches further down the road to death and decline. We're going to take them a little bit out of sequence. I'm going to save uh, Sardis, the dead church. Some would call it the progressive church for next week. And we're going to save also uh, Smyrna and Philadelphia for next week. But today we look at 
three churches further down that continuum of dying. And let's just jump into this passage right now. This is Revelation starting in 2.12. Revelation 2.12. Into the angel of the church in Pergamum, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. That's kind of an indication of the things to come. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast to my name. And you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But, but I have a few things against you. Notice a few things, not one thing like Ephesus. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, to the one who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone. These are the shiny objects we've talked about before. Bear with me. And I will give him a white stone with a new name on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Verse 18. To the angel of the church at Thyatira write, the words of the, of, the, of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your works, your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and the heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast until what... what only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule with a rod of iron as, with, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation 3.14. And to the church, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, the words of the amen, 
the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich and in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, the one who overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what's the problem here? You see three churches with a loss of mission. They've lost sight of the mission. They have compromised their integrity. They have tolerated what they should not have tolerated. They have become lax. And what is Christ's reaction? What is his response to their condition? Words of grace, words of uh, mercy upon mercy and offers of mercy and calls to repentance, but also words of warning. Words of warning, I would submit to you to those churches, to those very real churches then and there, and to all churches who read these words in the here and now. We see a God who does not grade on the curb. We see a God who is holy. We see a God who has raised these churches up for such a time as that, who's given them a mission, and they have deviated from this mission, and this is a God who does not tolerate sin. Now, last week, we looked at his spiritual grade report of the church of that day, Ephesus. And we saw, as he did before, he acknowledges all the good things about Ephesus, but he says, I have this one thing against you. They had lost their first love. The subjects of today's letter are further down that road to dying and death. They've drifted further beyond losing steam, and we see him take that same inspection report. You know, we used all these metaphors last week, right? Like a building inspector or a spiritual health inspector or a spiritual grade report and apply it to these churches. And I just want to remind you how that lays out. It's the call where he addresses them, and in that address you get a sense or a hint of where he's coming from and what he is going to be saying to them. But he speaks to them as one who knows them Emmanuel, God with us, he who walks among the lampstands. Then he follows that with a commendation. He praises what's right. He acknowledges the things that they have done. But then comes a citation or a violation, a violation of the code, you could call it, a violation of his holy standards, a violation of their mission and purposes. It's sort of a ticket based upon a serious deficiency or failure kind of a spiritual life safety issue. And then he gives consequences. Here's what's going to happen if things don't change. And then he gives encouragement. He calls them to snap out of it, to repent, to return to him as a prodigal returns to his father. 
And remember the motive that we talked about in Revelation 3.19. We just read it at the, at the tail end there with Laodicea. Those whom I love, I discipline and reprove. His motive is love. One can't help but n- notice that he loves them. But they are coasting. And he tells them to remember from where they have fallen and to repent. And that's why he, and you have this constant saying, he who has an ear, let him hear. That's why we call the message today, really, listening to the one we say we love, part two, a profile of dying churches. So let's turn our attention to his call, number one. And we talked about this before. The calls contain a tell, a foreshadow of what is his attitude toward that church. And what we're going to see from the calls, these three calls, these three addresses, is that he's not happy with them. And he addresses them rather strongly. And the description, the title that he applies to himself gives you a sense of what's coming. So in Revelation 2.12, we read this. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. That comes from chapter one, right? That doesn't look good. The words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword, that's a deadly weapon. To Revelation 2.18, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. You know, the Son of God indicates his authority. The eyes of fire, the eyes of flame indicate the depth of he looks into their soul and also perhaps a bit of displeasure and the purity is spoken of in heated burnished bronze. So he's speaking to them, not like he did with Ephesus, as one who walks among them, as their high priest, as Emmanuel, God with us, as so much as one in authority over them, one to whom they are accountable. And then in Revelation 3.14, and to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. What we see here is he's speaking of the son of, as the son of God. He's speaking of the husband to the bride. He's speaking as the amen, the final word. The faithful and true witness whose assessment, whose call to repentance is beyond contestation. The beginning of God's creation, we'll unpack all this in just a moment. But what we see here is he's speaking as one to whom they are all accountable, one who is an authority over them. And his postures or his tells or the way he addresses them indicates he speaks as one who is unwilling to accept their condition. As the God of creation, he knows the order that he established before the fall and as all of us just coming out of the study of First and Second Timothy, we understand how the church is to be constituted, how it is to behave according to his design because he created the church. We know that he wants a pure church. We, want, and we know that he wants a church that is on fire for him, that is not lukewarm. And with his piercing eyes and his eyes aflame, with the sword in his mouth, he begins this inspection, this evaluation of these churches. And he finds them wanting. These addresses, these calls, these tells, these foreshadows warn us 
of the fact that we should pay close attention to what's coming. And with his constant refrain, which is summarized in Revelation 3.19, his motive is love, we see his grace, but we also see you know, that he disciplines those he loves as well. So we go from the call now to the commendation. Again, Christ is not unaware that we do what is right, that these churches do what is right in his service. And so he praises what he can praise. He commends what he can commend. Revelation 2.13, to Pergamum, what does he say? I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. They're not in a good neighborhood, not in a welcoming area. Yet you hold fast to my name, despite all that, you hold fast to my name. And you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells. They're living in a time of persecution. And they're not denying him. They're hanging in and hanging on at some level. Then there's Thyatira. I know your works, your love, and your faith, and service, and patient endurance. That always speaks to persecution, bearing up under it. And that your latter works exceed the first. That's better than what we heard about Ephesus, right? And then to Laodicea, we're moving further down the continuum of decline. He says this. And still he says this, I know your works. He knows his people. He knows what they do and what they don't do, what their struggles are. He knows all that. It's not that he doesn't care. It's that he does care. And he wants them to excel still more and not lose steam and not fall into decline. And you can see that. But you also see a cautionary tale here because in La- with Laodicea or Laodicea, he says, I know your works, you're neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. What, what's going on here is that we see a range of acknowledgments. Pergamum lives in a place rife with evil, persecution, and her people do not deny Christ. Thyatira, there's love and faith for, they love him, they are faithful to him generally, they serve him, their recent works are better than their first works. And Laodicea, or Laodicea as some pronounce it, he at least knows them, he recognizes them. These are all churches, collections of believers. There are real believers in these churches. Now all churches, even ours, is a bit of a mixed multitude. There are people here at varying degrees of spiritual growth and some who sit here week after week and know about God and don't know God. We see all of this, but we also see that there's no fence sitting in the kingdom of God. You can't serve two masters. You can't have divided interests. You cannot compromise your integrity knowingly. You can't tolerate the intolerable. And so affirming what he can affirm, he addresses what must change if they are to continue on as churches, if he is not to snuff out their lampstands, if he is not to come against them. And so that brings us to number three in this spiritual report card, the third aspect of that, which is a citation. He's going to cite them for violations. And what we're going to learn here is that dying churches are inevitably compromising churches. The church of tolerance, the church of, some people take the idea, which is a good idea, of majoring on the majors and minoring on the minors. In any controversial doctrine, they declare a minor. And that's kind of what's going on here. You'll see some of this in what he says to these churches. They, they know the truth. Most of them are preaching the gospel. But 
they are compromising their integrity. They are compromising the message. They are compromising the mission. Let's start with Pergamum. So after all this commendation, we have the inevitable but. But I have a few things against you. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.